0: The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our
1: time. Making changes takes courage. And if we don't change things, we won't have a future.
0: We need a president of respect, Science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here.
2: You have stolen my
0: dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not.
2: Zero
1: Carbon Easter. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter, series two, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. This podcast drops, of course, on a weekly basis every Friday and delves deep into the green agenda. There are one or two other programs out there that give it a go, but frankly, few get to the heart of these crucial issues like this one. In no small part, of course, due to this man. Our man, front and center, is the environmentalist and entrepreneur dale vince and i think we're going to start dale you seem to have upset a whole raft of people because it was a question that came in from val who says uh, stop picking on farmers uh, simple yes. as that she doesn't embroider on this anymore stop picking on farmers what are you doing there well i have to say val i'm
0: not picking on farmers but farming has to change um, in the same way that the energy industry has to change, we have to stop burning fossil fuels and move to renewable energy. The transport industry has to electrify and the food industry has to change in respect of animals. We have to stop animal farming. It's, it's as simple as that. I think was probably referring to a video that we shot last week for uh, The Express, part of our campaign with them this week. The theme was nature. Uh, yep. Chris Packham got involved. We we're raising cash to buy a piece of the new forest to give back to nature. And we shot a little video up on the hill where I built my first windmill as a piece of land there that 20 years ago we bought from a local farmer who was retiring, planted a load of trees, locked the gate and walked away. And, and it's just turned into a wilderness. So we made a little video about that and what it looks like when land goes back to nature. Mm. And that that seemed to trigger a bit of a response from uh, from some farmers. Who, uh, who wanted to tell me that I'm completely wrong. And the upland grazing is natural and creates habitats and animal farming is regenerative and carbon neutral and, you know, stuff like that. So in terms of, I mean, just tell us about what it looked like when you went back. Oh, it's like the land that time forgot. I mean, we just couldn't get into it because the the shrubs and the thickets were, were you know, so dense. It was like, um, it's like trying to get I don't know, one of those jungle films, you know, where you need a machete to hack your way through wow. the undergrowth. And once inside, uh, you could see the trees were doing really well. Uh, we used a drone actually this time around because <laughs> we, well, we were once bitten twice shy in terms of trying to get in there. So we sent a drone over the top, which is just a perfect way to film it. Um, yeah. But it's just brilliant. It's a um, 40 acre piece of land and 20 acres was in a valley, and 20 was on top. And we left the 20 on top to turn to grassland. It's really rugged stuff. And the 20 acres in the valley, we planted about 20,000 trees, fenced it off to keep the deer out to give it a head start, and uh, yeah, walked away. Wow.
1: See, Val would say you could get 2,000 cows in there.
0: <laughs> and it was cows but before it was cows it was ancient woodland true and it was clearfeld. it was, clear-felled. It was a, there's a big bite out of a real uh you know real old uh woodland in the valley there big bite taken out for cattle
1: farming and we just gave it back how far would we go with that if we closed every dairy production line uh so there were no cows in fields and sheep and the like then would all that, would, would your plan be that that land just goes back to nature, or would that be that we, we work it in a different way, we, we grow vegetables? But
0: for me, this is the really exciting piece of the puzzle as we try to kind of green our lives up and live more sustainably. If we stop eating animals and only eat plants, and I realise that's a kind of bit of a stretch from where we are today, but I think it's coming. But, but the theory is... If we only plants, not animals, we free up 75% of the farmland in Britain. This is according to Oxford University, not me. And there's about 75% of Britain is farmland. So 75% of 75% is about 50% of our entire country that we can give back to nature, to wildlife, which I think is incredible. And over the years, of course, we've lost so much. We've, you know, we've lost all of our major mammals. Uh, 50, 60% of all bird life in the last 50 years, wildflower, meadows, insects, everything. I mean, we're turning Britain into a wildlife desert and we're doing it for farming. And one of the things I pointed out in the video is, that you know, we often think that it's urban sprawl, it's housing, it's roads and stuff like that. But that's just because that's where most of us live and that's what we see and we think that's what we're doing to the country. But only 5% of Britain is taken over by the uh, the built environment. 75% is taken over by
1: farmers. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, to to reverse that, you're not going to do that overnight, Dale, with the best of will, even with Chris Packham by your side.
0: (laughs) Well, the the beauty of it is, uh, from my perspective, it doesn't need to be managed. You just stop farming it, let nature come back, you know, and it comes back really quickly. It it doesn't mess about. Um, You know, some of the feedback we got from people that are farmers, uh, you know, Obviously, they feel a bit threatened by that kind of uh, language and that kind of approach. And I get that. I, I appreciate that. But um, some of the feedback is fairly common is to say, look, these upland areas of Britain, they're really rough pieces of land. There's nothing else we can do with them except graze them. And, uh, you know, this, this makes me kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it makes me laugh because it, it's born of a, of a mentality that says we have to do something with the land. And I don't accept that, I think. Uh, that's, that's where we're going wrong we see a piece of land, we think we have to do something with it we don't, and we've taken that land from nature when we do that gotcha. so we don't need
1: to graze all of our uplands um, uh, you know, we just need to let nature have it back It's interesting because uh, looking at the United Nations report on this humans have been waging a senseless and suicidal war on nature they say the planet is broken uh, this is according to a report making peace with nature through climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution so they're, they're on this as well Yeah, it's
0: intensive animal farming that's doing this. I mean, the Oxford report uh, showed that 75% of farmland across the world is not required if we eat plants and not animals, and it is – animal farming that's causing the destruction of the rainforest and all the other wildernesses and wild spaces around the world which are being turned into farms to grow soya or other forms of plant protein to feed animals that are kept in sheds. There are 80 billion animals a year killed around the world for food. There's only 8 billion people, and we're not the problem, actually. It's our diets, the 80 billion intensively farmed animals. And this week there was a new group um, formed, River Action, uh, and this is bringing the story back to Britain. I mean, that, what they're looking at is the, um, the impact on rivers of intensive animal farming. So over, ran by the River Wye, 60% of which is, uh, is affected by pollution. There's something like 500 farms, chicken farms, and 44 million chickens. And, uh, you know, it, their effluent is finding its way into the river, and it's killing the River Wye. Sure. Um, 40% of all river pollution in
1: Britain comes from intensive animal farming. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Most people would never know that I guess you wouldn't see that stat or that kind of information anywhere, right?
0: No, that's right. You buy your happy eggs in a supermarket and it doesn't tell you that, does it It's
1: never mentioned <laughs> it's not <laughs> these eggs could be contributing to pollution because there's a lot of chicken shit in your local river yeah quite right,
0: and you know what it's a real you problem to say
1: that with with imagery to, to go alongside it.
0: Yeah, the the imagery of uh, of animal products and food is is so starkly different to the actuality. You know, you yeah. think of milk and you'll see a picture of a happy cow in a field. That is not how milk is made.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, sausages uh, oh, never yeah. look like that anywhere. <laughs> a good point. Yeah, a good point. Uh, this this is interesting. Um, just let's just pluck a story here out of uh, the United States. Uh, Toby says, "Have you seen what's going on in Texas?" Uh, with privatization, could our energy grid end up like that? Yeah, so- it's interesting. I
0: mean, the, the Texas grid seems to have collapsed, um, you know, triggered by the weather. But um, the stories are that it's under investment and poor management that's that's okay. at the root of that. And our grid was privatized a very long time ago now. Uh, we're talking 25, 30 years. Uh, and we've endured some severe weather and it's held up. And I've got to say, I think the answer is probably no. In theory, you'd have to say yes, you know, if, if that's privatization that's caused that. But it is happening in America, and they do have a different approach to stuff
1: yeah. in America than we do, obviously. I thought what was interesting, actually, out of that story, I don't know if you saw this, Ted Cruz, the governor over uh-huh. there, um, uh-huh. who because Texas have not been hit in this way for a long time, no. this severe weather. And Ted Cruz, of course, has been a prominent Trump supporter. And when your state is on its knees and people have been cut off from power supplies. They can't cook their kids food. They can't heat their homes. What does Ted Cruz do? Goes on a holiday to Mexico. (laughs) <laughs> <Did> he, <laughs> I can't he believe pissed him. off his family to so mexico
0: oh, really? and the sunshine but the, the, the thing worth mentioning is that texas is a southern state and of course they won't be used to this kind of weather so it might be that the grid just wasn't built to withstand it um yeah. you know but this is an extreme event it is a, a symptom of the climate crisis uh that you know the very very cold weather that's happening in that
1: southern state that does border uh, with mexico I think the te- te- Texans just thought it was kind of a Joe Biden bit of black magic going on. White <laughs> <laughs> yeah, magic, whatever and, you like, but I think they they didn't know. Some of them had some great videos of, of Texans seeing snow for the first time.
0: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: Which I get, yeah. if you've never seen it, it's probably a bit weird, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, totally, and I mean that's how exceptional that event is. You know, it's a let's say it's a southern state, a hot state on, on the border with Mexico, and sure. and it's suffering some incredible freeze that's bringing down yeah. its grid.
1: Terrible. Um, here's a great story, and the, the, the re- reason I say it's a great story, I mean, the upshot of it isn't so great, but the reason I, I I'm, I'm interested by this. this is about wood burning, and I think when a lot of people think of leading a more environmentally friendly life, and you consider that the kind of good life sort of scenario, I'll grow my own veg, I'll live in a house, I'll have an agar, uh, I'll have a wood-burning stove. There is a sense that that's the right way to do things, a perception uh, that that's the good way to live, but it's anything but,
0: right? Yeah, some interesting data out that shows that wood-burning is now responsible for far more small molecules of pollution than traffic road traffic i think traffic is around about 13 percent and wood burning was 30 to 40 percent and only eight percent of people burn wood apparently uh, so it's not like a lot of people are doing it and it's partly because of the um the lowering of emissions from other sources is why the percentage contribution of wood has gone up because you know cars have gone an awful sure. lot cleaner even when they're not electric they're a lot cleaner than they were 20 30 years yeah. ago power stations, well, they're not just getting cleaner, they're being turned off, aren't they? We're about 50% um, renewable electricity on the grid now. So um, as we bear down on emissions from other sources, then this improbable, uh, up until now, relatively small source of emissions comes to the fore, wood burning.
1: Again, that perception that it's the right thing to, oh, I don't burn coal, I burn wood. Yeah. I think probably a lot of people that think this is you know, what, the, the right thing to do. So what, what the heck do you burn?
0: yeah i mean part, partly um i would say that uh, it depends on how you burn it so open fires are very inefficient and polluting and even if you have a an enclosed fire um if you don't have a modern one then it won't be ultra low emission and then it depends on what you burn if you don't burn seasoned wood then you make an awful lot more pollution so all of that mixture is in that 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 statistic uh you can definitely burn wood uh in in a much better way than uh than otherwise if you put a bit of thought into it i was i was following that story and i found myself uh, reading from a new zealand government website uh, they're giving advice to people there on how to burn wood properly uh, it's really interesting how to light a fire had you know pop outdoors look at your chimney make sure it's not smoking uh, you know get a proper
1: stove use dry wood is very interesting indeed <laughs> You know, there's a lot you can do to do it better. Uh, now, let's go back to rewilding, because um, we were talking about upsetting farmers and 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 some folk. Uh, this came from a guy called Gareth Wynne-Jones. He's a farmer, and he had this to say about your initiatives, Dale.
2: Just thought I'd show you some of the marginal land that we farm here in Wales. Um, yes, I do have a vested interest And that vested interest is 370 years of my family being able to produce environmentally friendly food from these very, very rough and tough areas. So These are the things that we really need to be pushing to make sure that people understand that regenerative environmentally sustainable food production is here on our doorstep. And yes, I know you and Bill Gates have got big investments in the vegan propaganda machine, which is good luck to you. But don't blame farmers for climate, because that is so, so wrong. And you know it's untrue. So come on, tell people the truth, and let's go forward. And good luck to you in business, because I know for a fact... And my family have got another 370 years here because we are well supported by the great British public.
0: There it is, Dale. Yes it's a great little video i have well, to say he's saying, what you're talking about vince i know it's a great little video and i've watched it and um and it makes me smile i mean firstly he needs a muffler on his mic obviously to, to cut down yeah, the windows. recording issues over there I've ruined it a little bit but uh you know he, he stands there he, he refers to the land as rough and and this is what i was saying earlier this is what people say uplands you know there's just nothing else we can do with it we have to graze on it so that's that's that argument he talks about it being wooded and teeming with wildlife if you watch the video it's not it's neither of those things it's not a great habitat because grazing destroys wildlife habitat doesn't create it and um the idea that it's regenerative and environmentally friendly i mean i think it's you know it's it's convenient to to attach those labels to it it's it's still an exploitative industry i mean apart from the fact that it takes away wildlife habitat of course uh, it's exploiting animals but but the, the problem is really for me at the end when he says, don't blame farmers for the climate crisis uh, because you know it's not true. I mean, forget the Bill Gates thing. I think that's just amusing. Um, yeah, what was that all about? I don't know. My, he's mate Bill. My what's new, going on here? He's my new mate in the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be part of the uh, vaccine uh, yeah. conspiracies before I know it. I mean, all of the scientific evidence shows us it's the animal farming industry, its second biggest cause of the climate crisis, right. not to mention deforestation and, you know, habitat reduction and wildlife extinction. And it isn't mm. the kind of farming that that Gareth is doing. That's a fact. It's intensive animal agriculture that we talked about that's, you know, polluting our rivers as well as driving the yep. climate crisis and taking all of this land from nature. So, I think uh, Gareth perhaps misunderstands when we say we've got to stop intensive animal farming. We don't mean sheep roaming around on hills. I mean, I would like to see it stop because we can give that land back to nature.
1: But that's not what's driving the climate crisis on that. He and I can agree. Yeah, indeed. Well, on that point, Dean on Twitter, we were going to talk about this anyway. Just a a final point, and I think it feeds in nicely. Uh, Dean says, Dale, Vince and Bill Gates are working with George Soros to fund the global vegan myth. (laughs) And now he's got Jeff Bezos on side as well. What's going on here? Who else? The Queen? <laughs> I don't know what to
0: say. Um, uh, yeah, I'm speechless. It's funny. Uh, we we teamed up uh, with um, a, a group of a group of companies this week who signed something called the Climate Pledge. This initiative kicked off by Jeff Bezos, um, and I think there's like fifty companies around the world now that have signed it. Some enormous companies really and we were invited to take part because of what we'd done with little or no money compared to these other guys and uh, we were happy enough for that because we figure that there's a chance to influence those people and actually we need them to change how they do business because you know I maintain that we, we don't need oil companies to go out of business to solve this problem and fight the climate crisis. We need them to change their business. Same with car companies, and that's happening. Same with food companies, and that's happening. It's so the same with all of these companies. You know, We need them to wake up to their responsibility and do something about it. And you know, this group of 50 of some of the world's biggest companies in all kinds of sectors uh, are doing, or saying they're doing at least, exactly that. They're pledging to go carbon neutral by 2040. So we thought, yeah, sure, why not? We'll join up and see if we can influence them.
1: Yeah, great. A uh, couple to finish on, Dale. Uh, Chrissy says, love what you do, but why aren't you campaigning more on HS2? Yeah. Uh, we talked about this on the radio this week, HS2, and it's interesting that there is, you know, right across different parties as well, um, a lot of objection to this. Um, seems to just be going ahead, uh, despite huge campaigns in various areas, whether it's swampy in the ground or various villages in different parts of the track having their say i mean huge problems against it but it continues yeah
0: that's right i mean i did a facebook live event last night somebody said what are we going to do how are we going to prevent the next hs2 (laughs) which i thought was a very pertinent kind of question because i realized that i feel that we've lost the argument or the battle over hs2 number one um you know that that as you say is just happening despite the overwhelming objections of people that are in its path and people that object on environment grounds and on the grounds that there's 100 billion that we can spend on something slightly more useful. Uh, you know, I think we've lost that battle, um, but I don't think there'll be a second one because um, because I, I just don't think anybody's going to let it happen because of the experience of this first one. I mean, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the ancient woodlands that have been destroyed for this, this stupid train line. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible uh, at a time when we've got barely any
1: left final one from jake who emailed zero carbonista at uk. says i'm a huge massive attack fan uh when can we see something from forest green rover's creative director well explain the the question dale for those who don't know yeah
0: uh our new creative director as of a few months ago is uh, uh, rob del naja or naya um from uh, from massive attack aka 3d he, he joined us um probably back in the summer he said he wanted to do a Bayerine. this is hector Bayerine, who became an investor in the club and uh, he, he did that and became a creative director at the same time because we thought there was a great kind of overlap potentially between the world that rob lives in he's an artist and a musician uh, for those that don't know and the world yep. of football and um, he's a football fan as well and fan of forest green so we thought you know we can have some fun do something actually quite different so we've done nothing yet but this week we've been talking because we've got ourselves a televised game coming up at about a month's time. And so That's- we're looking to see what we can bring to the ground uh, in the way of Uh, audio visual equipment Uh, because we won't have fans still at that time we've got kind of quite a bit of room to play with and one of the things that massive attack do i mean any fan of massive attack will know this is uh, visualise data at their at their concerts Uh, so we're just looking to see what we can bring to uh, the football experience in a a similar kind of fashion so it's a timely question because if you'd asked me last week i wouldn't have had much to say but this week something's happening
1: it's all happening. Uh, Dale, uh, we will speak in a week's time. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks, Ian. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider. Uh, that way you get each new episode automatically. Do make sure you leave a review there as well. And if you want to get in touch, uh, you can email zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Uh, and please make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash Dale Vince.
2: ZERO CARBON EAST HALL